At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. We've talked before in this podcast about the importance of sleep to our health, and we've looked at some medical issues like sleep apnea and insomnia that can negatively affect our sleep. Americans log about the same amount of sleep as we did 50 years ago, but that doesn't mean it's enough. According to a 2020 poll by the National Sleep Foundation, only one in three adults are getting the recommended seven hours of shut-eye, and among those who said they do get good rest, one quarter say drowsiness interferes with their daily life. Are you one of them? We previously discussed healthy sleep habits, the effects of alcohol, caffeine, bright phones and TV screens and stress, and more, and the consequences of poor sleep, the risk of accidents, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. But for today's podcast, we're going to hone in on one potential sleep issue, your partner. Does your partner snore? Does your partner steal the blankets? Is one of you a night owl while the other rises at dawn? Do men and women sleep differently? And what can be done to make sure both partners get enough shut-eye? Those are questions I'll explore with my guest today, Dr. Harneet Walia, Medical Director of Sleep Medicine and Continuous Improvement at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. It's great to have you back on the podcast, Harneet. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate, again, you coming back. You've already given us great wisdom and shared your expertise on the medical consequences of sleep and various sleep disorders. But let's talk about this real important one, which it probably is more um, affecting um, um, everyone's sleep um, than all the other things, which is the sleep habits of their partner. So first, let's start with basic sleep needs. Do men and women have differences physiologically or in any other way that would cause them to have different um, kinds of sleep or different sleep needs? Yeah, in general, both men and women have similar sleep needs. We recommend seven to nine hours of sleep on a regular basis. There are some data to suggest that women get more sleep than men when we count the night and daytime naps. Uh, However, women's sleep may be more fragmented, and there are some differences in how they sleep. You know, women may spend more time in deep sleep, less time in lighter sleep. And these are some of the things that are just related to biology and some of the other psychosocial uh, construct uh, that also interplay in why these differences occur. When you see a patient in your clinical practice who might have a sleep disorder or sleep-related issues, do you approach it differently if you're speaking with a woman versus a man? Yes, when I am evaluating men or women um, with sleep disorders, I know especially for sleep-disordered breathing or obstructive sleep apnea, that women may have a different presentation than men. So women may not necessarily have that loud snoring. She may present with uh, difficulty maintaining sleep or depression, tension, uh, nightmares, and those sort of things. Whereas men may have loud snoring. Uh, They may have witnessed apneas, which means having pauses in breathing uh, and excessive daytime sleepiness. So there is some difference in the presentation of the symptoms. So with that said, do you find more often women are affected by their partner's sleep versus men be affected by their partner's sleep? Or again, is it pretty much even based on the different kinds of problems? It's it's pretty much even based on different kinds of problems. There are some sleep disorders that are more prevalent in men. For example, obstructive sleep apnea is very prevalent in men compared to women, whereas insomnia or restless leg syndrome is more prevalent in women compared to men. 
So a man may be snoring at night and the partner uh, is awakened and gets a bad sleep uh, and sleeps poorly with the consequence of that. But a woman may be kicking the legs or have restless checking the clock, not able to fall asleep, and that might affect the male partner more commonly, though, as you're saying, both can be in both populations. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you in my practice, and I, I, I talk to people about that, I do ask, you know, a woman, does your spouse snore? How do you sleep? And, and, and vice versa. But it's good information to think about the terms that it, I usually couch it in snoring. But as you said, insomnia, restless leg, there might be other things that we don't think about that might be affecting one's sleep that would be addressed. Do you find when patients get referred to you for sleep disorders, the patient themselves more commonly says, I think I have a sleep disturbance or I'm not sleeping well, or is it the spouse saying, you know, you, you better go get this checked out if you, if, you wanna, if you want me to sleep in the bed with you? Well, if it's a nocturnal symptoms, it's mainly coming from the bed partner or the spouse. But if they have excessive daytime sleepiness or impaired concentration, or difficulty working in the workplace environment, that generally comes from the patient. So it's, it's both ways. Patient and the bed partners are affected by the sleep. So are there benefits to someone, to a couple sleeping separately, or would it be more obviously their preference, but you can actually work with them to find out what's causing that, that impact on each other and correct that? I mean, or is it just sometimes it's just, just hey, sleep in a different room? You know, how do we, how do we handle that? <laughs> Yeah, I again, I go to the root cause of every issue. <laughs> so right. so I, I would ask, like, why, what is it that is preventing your partner to have a good night's sleep? If it is loud snoring or having pauses in breathing, that needs to be further evaluated and managed because that could be a sign of a very dangerous sleep disorder, such as obstructive sleep apnea. Sure. Likewise, if it is restless leg syndrome, which causes leg movements during sleep and can also cause uh, in insomnia, which is sleep maintenance issues, that could also be treated. So the good part about these sleep disorders are they can be easily treated and managed and can improve the sleep of the patient and the bed partner. Um, I want to continue the conversation regarding the differences between men and women and, and how spouses can affect sleep. Just a quick point I want to clarify or for you to clarify. When someone has restless leg syndrome, um, does it occur every night or is it something that can come and come and go? Yeah, great question. Restless leg syndrome could be intermittent. It could occur once in a while, or it could be more persistent, which means it can happen on a daily basis and can really have effect on the sleep and the quality of life. So that's good to know. I see certainly, and again, my practice, patients sometimes say, oh, I'm taking the statin and my legs are always bothering me and I can't sleep. And when you really question it, they actually have restless leg syndrome and probably even had it before before statin therapy, so it really had nothing to do with it. All right, so let's talk about a couple of other things that are more common, at least uh, that we see in our practices. Um, what about sleep with women with uh, hormonal uh, disruptions, menopause? Is that, does that change at all? Is it part of um, a, a transition of women through menopause? Sure, you know, hormonal influences impact sleep significantly. So menopause is a big one. Sleep problems are very common during perimenopause and menopause. And that can happen because of the hormonally induced changes in circadian rhythm and the hot flashes and the night sweats are also very common. It can affect up to 80% of the women. So similarly, these hormonal influences could occur in, in pregnancy, right? Sleep disturbances are common in pregnancy. About half the women experience that. And also uh, these hormonal influences occur during the menstrual cycle and women may experience disrupted sleep during the menstrual cycle. So if a, a woman is having a disrupted sleep because of hormonal issues, which is certainly real and very common, uh, and we've already said that can infect the partner, 
Uh, do you find the partner basically tells the woman, hey, get checked out? Or is the woman just so uncomfortable they get checked out themselves? Uh, women are so uncomfortable themselves with the hot fleshes that they want to get it checked out themselves. And there are treatment options for these women who are undergoing menopause or are postmenopausal. Certainly hormone replacement therapy could make a huge difference only if it is appropriate. One has to deem that they have they are appropriate candidates for it. But certainly these, these things could make a difference. However, I would want to say the prevalence of obstructive sleep apnea increases tremendously after menopause. So if the menopausal woman is having snoring or insomnia, they should certainly seek evaluation for sleep disorder, breathing or sleep apnea. So I think the common theme is that we want the individual to recognize that their sleep patterns um, are uh, addressable, treatable, so they can have a bed night's sleep, obviously with, with um, um, your expertise and that of others, as well as think of its impact on their partner, and that can be addressed as well, both from the partner and from the individual standpoint. So that's the common theme as we go through these questions. Absolutely. So a couple of other questions. Um, are women or men more likely to have insomnia? You kind of mentioned women are more likely to have insomnia to some degree. And can you, do they seek help for it? Or they, I think sometimes people are so afraid they won't go to sleep hours before they fall asleep that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So how do you address uh, a, a woman uh, who might have um, uh, insomnia? Yeah, women are more likely to have insomnia and it, there could be, again, various factors that play into role, including the social factors, the psychological factors, women are more likely to have uh, mental disorders such as depression, anxiety, and that could play into insomnia as well. So uh, in terms of what we could do to promote sleep, you know, many times women tend to ruminate a lot while trying to sleep, and then they engage into some non-healthy sleeping habits, such as spending a lot of time in bed trying to fall asleep or taking naps to compensate for the lack of the sleep. And these are the things that we exactly don't want them to do. Uh, we don't want them to watch the clock. We, we just want people to associate that bed and bedroom is just to sleep. It's not there to lay down, think about stuff, or do any other thing besides sleep. And again, with some self-recognition, there, um, um, there are ways to get help or have a better night's sleep, which is important. Absolutely. How about, um, I tend to get up very early without an alarm clock. I can't think of the last time I slept past 6.30 in the morning. I actually like it. I find I'm very active uh, in the morning, though. You know, 9.30 at night might not be my best time <laughs> you know, to, to be thinking clearly. Um, is that genetic? Is that just lifestyle? Um, and more importantly, is there a difference between men and women in terms of their or the time they wake up and the time they, um, uh, or if they may sleep later? Yeah, we all have our internal circadian rhythm, which really governs what time we go to bed and what time we wake up. And it is also, uh, it, it's generally in sync with the external rhythm. As we grow older, we are more likely to have what we call advanced sleep phase rhythm. That is, we tend to go to bed early and wake up early. Um, and women are also more likely to have advanced sleep face syndrome, which is they are more likely to go to bed early and wake up early compared to men. So there could be some subtle differences in the circadian rhythm that could play in a role uh, in sleeping patterns. Now, some people just, that's just their normal lifestyle. Um, one may get up early and the other one sleeps a little later. But for those that find it somewhat disruptive in their, um, their daily activities or, or in relationship, can that be adjusted? Can one adjust their circadian rhythm sleep patterns? One could adjust, it's not easy to adjust. Um, there is a very fine balance between the external light and the melatonin, and it has to be given at a certain time point. Um, but if one wants to adjust, we can certainly help people adjust to those. 
it's two quick, two more quick questions just regarding general things that come on. The first thing I would ask is um, regarding uh, shift workers. So if uh, someone works uh, overnight or evenings and the other doesn't, again, have you found that that can cause um, particular sleep disturbances in, in the partner? Yeah, of course, uh, you know, shift work disorder is uh, very common. So when you're working shift, you are naturally going to sleep at a different time than your than the conventional times that your other bed partner may be sleeping. Uh, and shift work itself could pose some sleeping issues. They may experience more uh, insomnia or daytime sleepiness, and we can help in those situations as well. So are there things to offer shift workers? Are there recommendations or things they can do to, uh, to, to get into a normal sleep habit? Or again, um, we can recognize as an issue, but are there resources for shift workers to at least uh, minimize the impacts of these uh, of the different hours that they work? Yes, you know, there are uh, non-pharmacological or non-medications, the uh, treatment that we can offer, and there are medications that we can offer. We often tell uh, these patients to make sure that the sleeping environment is as conducive as possible when they're trying to sleep, making sure they have the dark black curtains when they're sleeping. Uh, the light exposure during, during certain times is also a very sensitive marker. Uh, we could also give some melatonin. Uh, we could uh, supplement some, some of these wake-promoting uh, things with caffeine. And there are medications that could also uh, be given for difficulty sleeping or for excessive daytime sleepiness. Um, last question, um, Harneet, a little bit uh, out there, a little bit compared to um, partner sleeping. What about that of children? What is there any medical evidence or any kind of recommendations regarding, you know, should children sleep in the bed with the adult and, and, and how, again, that can affect um, adult sleep patterns and, and potentially lead to some medical consequences? We, we don't recommend co-sleeping with children um, because that could cause some behaviorally induced uh, insomnia in kids. So we really recommend that bed, you know, children should be sleeping in separate bedroom in their own beds. We appreciate that. There's certainly cultural consequences and sometimes a parent is just so fatigued, it's just, just come in the bed, but uh, we do want to recognize that optimally that would not be um, recommended. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so great. Um, just before we wrap up, any other insights or advice regarding this topic? Um, um, we've, uh, you know, hammered home the point a couple of times about, you know, uh, we, uh, a partner's uh, effective sleep on uh, the other partner and what those uh, consequences and resources are to recognize it. Uh, any other, any other points you'd like to make? Yeah, I would just like to say that all couples, all men, all women, everybody should make sleep a priority. You know, when we when we talk about diet and exercise, we should always talk about sleep in the same token. And I welcome that. And I welcome your expertise and I welcome the uh, um, um, what you bring to uh, uh, Baptist Health, uh, both in terms of, again, your your knowledge and your passion towards educating and, and uh, identifying sleep disturbances and improving, obviously, those conditions in our community. So thanks again. I'm sure we'll have you back for other sleep related topics and maybe even some other things we can talk about. I'd love to talk about the continuous improvement at some point as well. Um, again, listeners, before we sign up, uh, sign off, we could uh, really use your help and feedback. Please take a moment and give this podcast a five-star review in whichever platform you listen to us on. Have a comment or a suggestion for a future topic, email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.